Hello again. Thanks for joining us. It's February the 19th. Brent, this week we spent a lot of time thinking about farm income, the first dump or estimate of 2021 income and returns from the USDA came out. A lot of headline numbers saying income is going to be down maybe 10% from 2022 levels, but still a, a positive turnaround. I know a lot of you are listening via podcast. We're going to show some charts here. Be sure you read the blog, the articles in the premium side. So Brent, last year, I'm going to start with our my favorite chart. One of our first AEI charts that we ever made is 90 years of net farm income adjusted for inflation. 2020 is going to be the third highest year in profitability since the 1970s. And 2021 is going to be up there about the fifth or sixth strongest year. So early signs say good times possible here in agriculture. We really had a strong rebound in net farm income. And and again, 2021 right now forecast to be pretty good. Just really amazing how rapidly that shifted. Always want to remind people it can shift the other way as well. So I think we want to make sure and take advantage of these kind of times don't happen that often. You look at history, you know, we're not outside that one standard deviation band very often. It always kind of makes me smile when I see other people put that chart up with that line you know, the average line through it. I we did that a long time ago and uh, I see that a lot now. I've been thinking about maybe we should shorten that time trend up and recalculate the average. But anyway, it's a, it's an interesting, I think, way to look at it and say, hey, you know, times are pretty good to make sure you take advantage of it. So let's talk about why 2020 and 2021 are a little bit different. There needs to be some asterisks or asterisks besides these data. And what's going on here is government payments. And when you really look at the government payments side of it, there's a lot of government payments alongside with these really big farm income years. So 2020 blew the roof off at $46 billion. 2021, sort of a carryover stimulus from Congress passing stuff in in 2020, you're going to hit the the mailboxes and the bank accounts here in 2021, still on par for a big year of direct payments. And so one of the takeaways is the headline number is farm economy is set to be in a good position, but let's think about this from what's actually happening at the farm level, right? What's the economic engine of the farm economy looking like? And we got to realize a lot of this is direct payments. Yeah, a huge amount. Again, going to have probably over $20 billion of uh, direct farm payments, which is maybe a little surprising to some people. But, you know, we had the stimulus that was passed prior to New Year's. And I think that's still on the books to go. That's a $20 per acre, sort yeah. of. <laughs> and, Until and, we get and, a better name for it, that's what we're going to call it. $20 per acre provision. So, yeah. And our understanding, I think, David, or at least my understanding, that that's, you know, I hear... People say, well, we're not going to get that. I, I think that's not true. I think that's coming. It was passed. I don't think there's any indication that that's not going to come. We'll have that. And then you've got another round of PPP that's out there that people are taking advantage of. So we're again looking at some pretty big payments. So for context, $46 billion last year, 25 is where the estimate stands today. From about 2007 to 2017, the average was 13 billion. So the farm bill comes in at an average around 13 billion. They get it as high as 15 billion, as low as 10, and they're at 13 in the middle. But we're still close to double the average, right? So it's a big, big upturn here. So this gets us to a measure that we think a lot about, and it's 
probably don't have a great title for it yet, but it's sort of this idea of what's the underlying farm economic activity. So we take net farm income, we pull out direct payments, and then we add back this interesting measure called capital consumption. It doesn't work the way you think it works, but Brent, you want to jump on here? And it, this is your favorite measure that the USDA puts out. <laughs> yeah, well, we started noticing that this capital consumption number was a little, looked odd. And so the best thing I think we thought to do is, well, let's just take get rid of it and add it back in to try and get a better measure of what's actually happening on the farm. Because that number, we never really got a very good answer about exactly what that is. Maybe you remember better than I do. I just remembered that maybe we don't want to put a lot of weight on it. And that's the takeaway, right? We could talk about it for 20 minutes and we confuse everybody and ourselves. But right. So let's think about this, right? What is this number, this underlying economic activity? It's the idea of how much is, is being produced in a general, what's the farm producing? With those earnings, producers pay themselves, they service their debt, and they reinvest or they replace their capital assets. And so when we look at this, we can see a couple trends. And first off is 2019 was really a hard, the, the low point in the farm sector. Direct payments helped fill the void, but things were really dire in 2019 in the midst right. of the trade war. We've also seen an improvement, but if when you take away those direct payments, 2020 doesn't look all that much different than the pre-trade war, 2017 levels. 2021 is a little bit better, but we're nowhere near the 2012, 2013, 2014 level eras. And so I think a lot of times we're hearing folks saying, these are the best prices since 2014. And that's probably true for corn and probably more true for soybeans. But these are just two parts of the overall farm economy. And there's a lot of other factors going into this. And so we have to really move beyond the net farm income numbers or the corn prices to really understand the farm economy is improving, but it might not be as strong as, as we might think when it comes to crop budgets or actual value of production. It's definitely improved, though, uh, from from what it was in, in, say, 19, but a long ways away from kind of the peak. Now, if you add those government payments on, it starts to feel pretty darn good. But again, we think it's important to kind of take those out uh, because this is kind of really underlying economics of the farm situation. So, Why is the direct payment situation important to keep in mind? Well, they are very real, right? They're impacting your, your cash flows in 2020 and 2021. But we have to realize we can't plan on those for forever, right? So when you make your plans and your projections, we shouldn't uh, be making farm purchases with the expectation of cash flowing this new piece of equipment or new land, expecting these direct payments to continue for forever. So that's the point we really want to drive home. Shifting gears a little bit, Brent, this is something that you keep reminding me about, and I finally got a graph put together that, that captures it. We looked at all farm production expenses. This is excluding you know, operator dwelling, but all farm production expenses, they've been on a downward trend, about 20% down since 2014. So what's also going on here is it's not just the commodity price improvement that's making the farm economy feel good or better. It's the low cost situation. And that's really driving a lot of this here in 2021. This decline in production expenses has been a real benefit. And of course, they had to until prices kind of came back up. Those expenses needed to come down and, and they have now. And so it's, it's making things feel pretty good. But beware that there's probably room for those to move up over time as well if, if things remain good. If you're watching this on the video, if you have a chance to read the article, look how much some of these 
increases move in, in the boom years. So you can really see during the good, when there's a lot of profits, these costs of production, these production expenses have a way of ratcheting up very quickly. And then when they come off, they come off very slowly. Think about that as we move through. If profits remain, I wouldn't be surprised if this doesn't ratchet up as they release new estimates. Finally, Brent, the last thing I want to share here, and if you have any other thoughts, we can wrap this up with. Here's the value of all production for crops versus animals. For crop producers, 2020 was pretty good. 2021 looks to be better. Think about actual corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, crops raised. The value of that production looks to be up. It's still early, but it's the best that we've seen since 2014. Livestock is also expected to be up, but livestock producers really did not fare well in 2020 at all. The value of production fell in 2020. They're expected to improve from 2020, but remain at 10-year lows. And so the farm sector still has commodities or regions of the country that aren't enjoying as much of the upturn as corn and soybean producers in the Midwest might be feeling. It seems like the, the animals have kind of lagged crop in the last up cycle as well, and in the last down cycle as well. Like they kind of lag, so maybe that will come uh, eventually. But I think it is important to, to note that things aren't as strong everywhere. Now, again, you add in the government payments, that changes the story a little bit. But when, when you just look at per value production, animals certainly lag. The farm economy has a lot of nuances. And I think that's the thing that we're trying to break down is let's move beyond those top line numbers and think about some of the nuances. We talked about a lot of articles that we're working on. Anything else on your mind? One thing I would make one comment, you know, the USDA Ag Outlook Forum today came out with their corn and soybean numbers, 92 million acres of corn, 90 million acres of soybeans. Just keep in mind, those are kind of like a baseline type of forecast. So don't put a lot of weight on those numbers. But I think there's one thing I think they indicated to me is that seems like they're maybe willing to push through that 180 million acres of combined corn and soybeans. At least they're thinking is that's going to be a little bit stronger this year. How that ultimately gets allocated, we'll know a lot more in March. So those prospective planes numbers are going to be about guaranteed to be quite a bit different than those those numbers. So just keep that in, in mind as you're thinking about just interpreting more like a baseline kind of forecast or projection uh, that they make based on some models. Not survey data. The right. first survey data comes out at the March perspective at the end of March. So it's a starting point, but expect them to be different. I, we were talking before, this came out of the office of the chief economist. And so of course the survey data comes out of NAS. And so it's, these are very different, but they're complementary. We can learn from them. We can help triangulate from this. So sometimes people get a little put a little too much weight in these early estimates. But it's interesting. We're seeing estimates all over the board. I think that this is going to be one of the more interesting planting seasons uh, as we head into because basically we want more of all the crops, which has not been the case for many, many years. You know, we talked earlier, cotton prices are up. Cotton wants a little few more acres. Wheats, we might plant a million more acres of wheat this year. Uh, we'll see how many of those stay. Thanks to the winter wheat, maybe the winter kill, but also abandonment and people thinking about corn and soybeans. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you all next week. Stay curious. Thanks.